Hey, everybody, this is Ballot Banter, the show where I try to become an informed voter and bring you along for the ride. Today, we're talking about the November 6th midterm election, specifically the ballot for the state of California. So I just want to give a quick intro to the concept of the show and introduce my guests, and then we'll go ahead and get started. So the concept for the show came up because I've always been very politically opinionated. So a lot of my friends have been asking me for advice during this election on the various candidates and the measures that are on the ballot. Um, And a lot of the times I didn't quite feel qualified to answer. So I'd be reaching out to my friends um, who are actually more informed than I am in politics. And um, I thought, well, why don't I just get, why don't I just get on a three-way call with a couple of my most politically informed friends and go through the ballot, the ballot measures in the different races one by one and then record it. So that is the show. So first off, let me introduce my guests. We have Lux Basin. Hi. And we have Zenzen Jiang. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so um, Lux, you want to just introduce yourself real quickly? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I got involved in politics in the uh, Bernie 2016 campaign. Bernie Sanders was the first politician I saw at a national stage who really stood for the things I believed in, like universal health care, tuition-free public college. Um, since then, I've been uh, involved in uh, writing a measure in San Francisco for uh, universal affordable housing. Um, and, you know, I've just been remaining involved um, at the local level uh, here in SF. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, Zenzen, you want to give, give a little intro for us? Oh, hey, everyone. So my name is Zenzen. So I study political science in college, but Bernie Sanders' campaign is what really um, got me involved with with actual political campaigns, um, Bernie 2016. Um, so I'm very, um, so, I'm, so I'm definitely left-leaning. Um, I support progressive candidates, both um, state and local. Um, so that's just sort of my background. Cool. Okay, great. And uh, a little intro on me. Uh, same as these guys, I um, started really, I've always been politically interested. I think I did my first phone banking in 2008 for Obama, but I really got into it um, during Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign, um, phone banking, and we uh, took a trip. Actually, Zen Zen and I were both on this trip from uh, San Diego out to Las Vegas to uh, knock on doors and everything for the campaign. So that's actually how we met. So that's a little background from me. And without further ado, let's get to the ballot. So I've got my ballot here, three pages. It's got a lot of stuff on it. So we'll try to keep each section brief. Um, Obviously, all three of us are quite progressive, left-leaning. So some of these, I think we're probably going to we're going to look at them if they're if they're um, if they're a Democrat versus a Republican. We may uh, not spend too much time on something that doesn't need to be covered too deeply because there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff to get through here. Um, and also, I uh, <clears throat> I just want to state that uh, we also reserve the right to not know <laughs> if we're not sure about something. We'll just say so and. Uh, It'll be, 
it'll be just something that maybe maybe you guys listening can help us with. So we're totally open with to that too. So let's get started. So the first up, we have the state races. So I have governor here, John Cox, uh, Republican. Uh, it says businessman, taxpayer, advocate. And then we have Gavin Newsom, uh, Democratic, Lieutenant Governor slash businessman. Uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit about uh, these two candidates? Do you guys know about both of these? Um, yeah, so G Gavin Newsom, probably most people are very familiar because he's our Lieutenant Governor. He's sort of um, a very um, big political celebrity. Um, not many people are familiar with John Cox. So, um, so he's, um, he's sort of a I would describe him as a populist Republican Republican candidate. Um, he's from San Diego, Rancho, um, I believe Rancho Santa Fe, um, San Diego County. Um, the issue with um, 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 John Cox is mostly his Trump-style um, campaign. Um, and if you live in San Diego, you probably have seen some of his border wall rally. <laughs> so, oh, boy. Yeah, so it's it's a very problematic can candidate. Um, in in this case, um, d definitely, I, in my personal opinion, Gavin Newsom would be the better of, of the two. Gotcha, yeah. Lux. What's your view on this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, personally, like Gavin Newsom, having been mayor of San Francisco, um, he's often really cited on the side of big businesses. Right now, we have a ballot measure in, in San Francisco that will increase funding for homelessness housing and uh, mental health services, and he's on the other side. He's against that measure. Um, he is, um, he's better than John Cox. I would say as, a San, as far as San Francisco mayors go, he was more on the moderate side. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the groups in San Francisco are doing no endorsement. My group, the San Francisco Bernie Kratz recommended uh, no endorsement, but suggested Gavin Newsom, because obviously we don't want John Cox to get in. He would be by far much worse. So, okay, so we're kind of a lesser of two evils situation here. <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. He did gotcha. say, to his credit, he is saying that he will fight for uh, Medicare for all. And he has gotten the early endorsement of the California Nurses Association because of that. But it really, it's, uh, you, he needs, his feet need to be held to the fire on that one. Yeah, well, that's going to be up to us. So, so I guess we're all for Gavin Newsom here as far as wh who to vote for, but it sounds like uh, an imperfect candidate, but what is the saying? Don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, uh, that's your governor race there. Um, so let's talk about Lieutenant Governor for a second. That one is interesting to me um, because we have two Democrats here running against each other. Uh, can, can one of you guys talk a little bit about why, how did we end up with two Democrats here? Um, so because we have a top two um, primary, basically anyone who becoming the top two vote, um, vote getter um, in June primary um, uh -huh. will, will um, advance to the November general election. Okay. Um, so um so before um when gavin newsom was running for lieutenant governor it was him and i forgot the name of the republican person but this is the, i think this is the first time we have two democrat democrats in the lieutenant governor race um because they were the top two vote getters in um, june so they advanced to the november election okay and so we have two democrats here um 
what do you guys have to say about one versus the other? It seems like kind of a hard, uh, a hard choice here. If they're both, if they're both Democrats, I looked at their platforms a little and they seem relatively similar. Yeah. So I definitely agree because, um, Lieutenant, like the, look, the role of Lieutenant governor itself is, is not really easy to, um, pick differences between like candidates because like the role of lieutenant governor is quite limited um uh -huh. they both both candidates did promise that um if um if they if, if they get elected they will not raise tuition on um uc csus which is very important because they actually okay. serve on the board of the, the board of uc regents and csu board of trustees and um and i think both um and all, both, both of them also um say if they get elected um um they will not um they, they will not agree to offshore drilling um because um being lieutenant governor you, you will also serve as the chair of the california land commission um okay so at hernandez um he's been um he's, he's been um serving in Sac sacramento for 12 years um okay. he he's um He's had, he's more big on the um, um, some um, sorry I'm, I'm like it's all good. So he, he's he's not the biggest pro progressive, um, but mm -hmm. but then, but then he's he's also not like the the most blue dog Democrat. Eleni Konolakis was um, her only um, political. Political experience was being the ambassador to Hungary. Um, she um, she has never been elected to any office, and okay. this is this is gonna um, this is actually her first election ever. And mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest biggest concern that people often point out is how much money her family has poured into her campaign, um, and an independent expenditure in favor of her, of her campaign. Um, overall, in terms of campaign spending, she outspent at Hernandez. Um, I think at least um, three or four times. Uh huh. And and so her 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 uh, dad is a big real estate developer, um, and that okay. can present a huge conflict of interest when it comes to the state lands commission. But sure, you know it's it's just like the whole picture of somebody pouring millions and millions of dollars to buy a race for their child is just kind of not like a very progressive thing at all from my point of view yeah. i think you know ed, ed hernandez is not perfect i my my biggest experience with ed hernandez is when we were trying to lobby for the healthcare for all initiative uh to pass in the state senate uh he uh -huh. was um he was somebody we had to focus on but at the end of the day he voted for it which is to his credit um okay I, I don't know uh, anything about Eleni Konolakis because, I mean, beyond what she said on her platform, just because she doesn't have a record. And a lot of the times when it comes to politicians, you have to judge them based on their record and not so much what they say they're going to do. Um, Eleni, um, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, this office really doesn't do a huge amount, uh, but okay. like a conflict of interest on the State Lands Commission is actually pretty important because uh, when Gavin Newsom... Um, he still is lieutenant governor, but as lieutenant governor, um, he was involved in a decision about um, San Francisco uh, wants to limit heights on the waterfront to sort of allow people to still enjoy the waterfront without overdeveloping it. 
Um, he was involved uh, against uh, a decision that was made by the people of San Francisco uh, in a ballot measure, uh, in a ballot initiative. Um, so this is Gavin Newsom we're talking about? Yeah, that's Gavin Newsom. And, and like, it, I'm just trying to illustrate sort of uh, the role that a lieutenant governor can sometimes play because he was sort of siding with the more uh, big development interests in terms of oh, allowing you're saying them. he Gavin Newsom did this when he was as lieutenant governor. He did this as lieutenant governor, and it makes me a little bit uncertain about Eleni because her dad is also a big real estate developer, and uh, if her dad is pouring this much money into her race, I feel like there's something he's going to get out of it. Right. Sure. I mean, of course, the argument could be made that it's it's just his kid too, but <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I think also, we... um, I, I think I, I want to make it clear that um, I have no issue with people uh, with no prior political experience running for office because I think it's uh -huh. great. Um, more people, I want more people to get involved. The issue is how people get there. It should, right. Politics should not be a pay to play, and and definitely the her it, it there's there's no way we can deny that the um her family money play a big role in her campaign, and that's not something we want to see in our um, politics. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's great info. Thanks, guys. Okay, so Secretary of State, we have Alex Padilla, who is a Democrat, uh, who is the current Secretary of State. And then we have Mark P. Muser, who is the Republican, who is an election law attorney. I think for us, this is going to be pretty cut and dried, pretty straightforward. I think we're all probably going to side with Alex Padilla. Is that correct? Yeah. Agree with okay. you on that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on from that one because we got a lot to get through here. So we've got controller. I think this is going to be a similar situation. Constantinos Roditis, uh, party preference Republican, businessman CFO, and we've got Betty T. Yee, who is the Democrat, who is the California State Controller currently. I think that one's going to be pretty simple for us, too. We're probably going to say Betty T. Yee, who is the Democrat. Uh, do you guys have anything more to add on that one? Her um, challenger is a big, uh, is really supported by the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, and so he's really anti-tax. Um, you know, like, so he's, he's basically not going to be very progressive when it comes to, you know, ballot measures like um, reforming Proposition 13 or anything of that sort. So I think it would be really bad to have him in that office. Okay, yeah, that's good info. I actually saw the Howard Jarvis Tax Association when I was doing some research on this race. Uh, I think they actually are sponsoring, we'll get to this later, but I think the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is uh, sponsoring one of the campaigns on one of the ballot measures too, because that name sounds familiar to me. Yeah, the gas um, tax probably they're against that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes gas sense. tax and also the um, Prop Five, um, the uh, property tax. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So we'll definitely get to those later. Let's go to treasurer here. We have Greg Conlon, who is the Republican, who is a businessman and CPA. We have Fiona Ma, who is Democratic and who is a CPA taxpayer representative. Um, this one, again, is a Republican versus Democrat. So I think uh, we're going to lean on the Democrat for this one. Uh, but do you guys want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, uh, the main thing about Fiona Ma is that, um, and this is very San Francisco specific, um, she uh, was on. She was in the board of supervisors, and um, one recent thing that's happened is uh, there's a candidate, Josephine Zhao, 
who was running for school board here. And um, back in 2013, she kind of made some transphobic comments about gender neutral bathrooms in, in schools. And that, that was Josephine Zhao. Uh, but Fiona Ma uh, endorsed her for school board. And even after Josephine Zhao got a lot of uh, criticism about that, Fiona Ma didn't rescind her endorsement. So um, it's, you know, I, I, she hasn't been a great supervisor uh, in San Francisco, but she is probably the better candidate uh, out of the two. Gotcha. There's just so many of these situations where it's kind of a lesser of two evils deal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, I know a lot of these candidates because they got, they started going up the political ladder in San Francisco. So it's, sure. you, you really need to talk to the people in uh, who first knew them when they were sort of getting started. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so, but we still, uh, do you guys both agree that Fiona Ma is the better choice over Greg Conlon? Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's move on to Attorney General here. Uh, we have Stephen C. Bailey, who is the Republican and who is a retired California judge. Um, and then we have, ooh, I'm going to butcher this name, Javier Becerra, Becerra. is it? That's Becerra. right. Yes. Okay, cool. Um and he is the Democrat, and he is appointed Attorney General for the state of California currently. Uh, do you guys want to add anything on this one? Um, there's nothing I can add. Um, I think the consensus that um, Becerra would be the better candidate. Um, he's been at the um, forefront of um, some of the lawsuits against Trump um, on the travel ban DACA and also the border wall and also Sanctuary City. So, mm-hmm. so I would definitely recommend Bacera. Okay, gotcha. Um, let me make a note here really quick for later. He also does uh, support the death penalty, which is sort of an issue. So if you might remember back in June, there was a primary uh, where there was a candidate, Dave Jones, running against him. Uh, Dave Jones didn't make it through, obviously, because we only have these two right now. That's the only right. thing I would say against Bacera. He is definitely the better candidate. Okay. Gotcha. Good to know. Okay. Insurance commissioner. We have Ricardo Lara, who is the Democrat California senator. And we have Steve Poisner, who is party preference none, a businessman, nonprofit director. So this is an interesting one. Do you guys know anything about these candidates? Yeah. So Steve Poisner, um, he previously served as an insurance commissioner um, from 27 to 2011. Um, he okay. was actually a Republican. He's basically a Republican turned independent, but his mm-hmm. policy is very libertarian, um, conser- conservative, um, comparing to um, Ricardo Lara. Um, Ricardo Lara, um, he he's a um, assembly member from Cal- um, uh, sorry, um, Senate senator from um, Los Angeles area, um, Los Angeles. Um, Okay. And he um, he author he authored the he co-authored the single payer bill, um, and also he's he's a very big um, advocate for um, DACA and um, undocumented students. Okay, so it sounds like uh, oh sorry, Lux, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh no, I I, I agree. I think uh, Lara would by far be the better candidate. Okay, gotcha. So Ricardo Lara for insurance commissioner. 
Let's see. Uh, Member State Board of Equalization, 3rd District. We have Tony Vasquez and G. Rick Marshall. Do you guys have this on your ballot as well? We're in District 2. We don't because we are in District 2. Um, ah, I see. So, so that's more specific. So this is district specific. Okay, gotcha. So let's uh, let's just skip over that one. Yeah, but um, um, I think the Democratic Party endorsed one of them. Um, yeah, Tony. Well, Tony Vasquez is the Democrat, yeah. and G. Rick Marshall is the Republican. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm pretty sure they in- endorse um, Tony Vasquez. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And this one's a big one. We've got United States Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein, who is the Democrat, and we have Kevin DeLeon, who is also a Democrat. That's an interesting uh, matchup. Dianne Feinstein is currently a United States Senator, and Kevin DeLeon is a California Senator. So this is an interesting one. What are you guys' thoughts on these two? So, um... So Kevin DeLeon um, is, in, is, actually, is actually endorsed by the um, California Democratic Party um, uh-huh. before, because he's, he's the more progressive choice compared to Dianne Feinstein. Dianne Feinstein has served five terms in, um, as a senator, has senator from California, um, but Cal- Kevin DeLeon is definitely more progressive in terms of immigration policy. Um, he, Kevin DeLeon is a big um, proponent of um, undocumented immigrants and um, and and also he supports single payer health care, um, and, okay. and strong le- strong um, legislation regulating um, use of force um, when it comes to public safety. Um, so I would definitely say Kevin DeLeon is the better choice. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I you know Feinstein uh, has a home uh, actually a mansion in San Francisco. She actually got her start in politics in San Francisco, and we went there to protest uh, several times. More, most recently, um, it was regarding her uh, rubber stamping a lot of Trump's nominations uh, when mm-hmm. he was getting started in, in January 2017. Um, she actually has a pretty good record of supporting Trump in terms of those nominations, and it, she's been pretty disappointing. Uh, her, her entire... Uh, Senate career, I don't think, really matches up with how liberal uh, California has become. Yeah, and I, I think Kevin DeLeon would be by far the better candidate. He's been talking about, you know, things like increasing um, funding for public schools. As a as a senator, he worked to increase uh, the uh, the minimum wage, and you know, he's been a very strong advocate for uh, low income communities. Gotcha. Okay, great information. So for United States Senator, we're going with Kevin DeLeon. Um, yeah, he sounds like uh, I've done a little research on him, and he sounds like a, a candidate that uh, I can actually kind of get excited about. seems like he's done some good stuff as a California senator. Um, so let's see, United States Representative, we have the 29th District. That's just uh, that's going to be for me, right? You guys yes. probably don't have that on your ballot. Um, let's see, uh, I'm just curious if you guys happen to know about either of these Benito Benny Bernal, who's a Republican or Tony Cardenas, who is the Democrat. Um, so Tony Cardenas is the current incumbent and he's been endorsed by the uh, Democratic Party to, for his re-election. 
Okay. Gotcha. So let's then move on to, I have state Senator 18th district. That's just going to be on my ballot and not yours again. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've got, uh, Bob Hertzberg and Rudy Melendez. Do you know, do you guys know either of those? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Hertzberg. He is the incumbent, and he has been endorsed by the Democratic Party again. Okay, gotcha. So that's that's page one for me. So I'm flipping over. I've got member of the state assembly, um, 39th district. That's going to be local as well. We've got uh, Luz Maria Riva, uh, Rivas and Ricardo Antonio Benitez, who is the Republican. Um, do you guys want to comment on either of those? I would say just go with Luz Maria Rivas. Okay. And now we get into this. This has actually been the hardest for me to research. Um, the Judicial Supreme Court Justice, um, for Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, Carol Corrigan. I've been looking into her a little bit, and it's a little confusing because she was apparently against giving uh, the right to gay marriage uh, back when Proposition 8 was on, I think, that was it the 2006 or 2004 ballot? I can't remember. Um, I believe it was in 2008. Um, I don't oh, remember, it so I, I don't yeah. really remember. The exact time. Okay, but she was against that, but then it said that she was against it for like procedural reasons or something do you guys know about that so she wrote two dissents to the to the court's finding that Cal, the california constitution protects the right of gay people to marry so basically he wrote um this um opinion oh carol's a guy she sorry oh she okay I, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. i don't even remember what, what was i talking about okay so she wrote two dissents to the court's finding that the California Constitution protects the right of gay people to marry. Um, to me, that's a big red flag. And, um, and I saw some of the local um, LGBTQ um, political clubs um, recommended a no vote of her um, re-election um, because of her record. Interesting. Lux, do you have anything about that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know as much about the uh, judicial races. It does sound like she would be uh, somebody who shouldn't be retained. And, uh, you know, if she isn't retained, uh, Newsom could appoint somebody potentially better. Gotcha. Okay. So let's see. We've got Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Leandra R. Uh, Kruger. Do you guys know about her? Um, Kruger, um, she she's um i mean so far there's nothing really problematic um in, in her rulings um i would recommend uh -huh. a yes vote because um she's been doing her job um i don't have anything to add yeah. okay gotcha so let me see this is where i have to start writing things down so give me a sec here dun, dun, dun. so we've got So we're saying, uh, let's say a yes for Kruger. Okay. So J Judicial Court of Appeal Justice. Sorry. Um, for I, those, those will be um, 
on your um, own ballot, not. Oh, these are only on my ballot. Okay. Yeah, because um, I'm I'm the sixth district. Um, I'm in District One, yeah. And so. Lakshas in District One, so we're we okay. all in different districts. So those we would not be able to offer opinion on. Got it. So maybe what we can do here is just give uh, an idea or or offer your opinion on how we should be picking. Uh, a judicial court of appeal justice because I mean, what do you do? Do you just Google their name and see if they see how they've ruled on things? Is that even possible? I think that's part of it. I think uh, sometimes you'll see news stories about some controversial decisions they've been involved in. I think uh, you can also see there are other endorsement guides uh, that might be in your local area that might have more information. Um, for, uh, you know, the, the main ones that I've researched previously are sort of our Superior Court justices in San Francisco, and there were some uh, key decisions involving rent control that they were on the wrong side of. These are actually a little bit more difficult. You do need to spend some amount of time just looking into their past. Sure. Okay, and I want to mention here, I think because of this, um, you know, I'm not sure about this. I don't have data to back this up, but I think it's fairly likely that a lot of people don't mark yes or no on a lot of these. So actually researching and voting on these offices might actually have a bigger effect than say, you know, voting, voting for something like the governor or lieutenant governor who there's a lot of people voting for, you know, for one of the candidates. Does that make sense or am I off base there? Typically, a lot of uh, justices are, re are retained. So um, I'm not entirely sure if the, if the number of votes cast is lower. I would have to double check on that. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's see. So we're going to skip over the justices because they're going to be different for just about everybody, it seems. Um, so let's go to... Um, I'm on page three, but the page numbers are different for everybody. So I have Judicial Court of Appeal Justice. Oh, that's continuing. Um, this is still going to be local as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to skip over Judicial Court of Appeal Justice here. We have Super Judicial... Um, we can jump to the Superintendent of Public Instruction. Okay, gotcha. All right, let's see here. Superintendent of Public Instruction. Okay, yeah, so that's under school. So it says school, superintendent of public instruction. So I just want to clarify, we are skipping over, uh, on my ballot, there's a lot of judicial court of appeals, justice, and um, judge of the superior court and things like that, which are just very local. Um, so we're not going to talk about those, but we're going to talk about the, under the school section, it says superintendent of public instruction. So we have Marshall Tuck, who is the school's improvement director, and we have Tony K. Thurmond, who is an educator and state legislator. Would you guys like to talk a little bit about those candidates? Marshall Tuck is a big uh, charter school advocate. He basically ran the uh, charter school company that Villaraigosa let uh, take control of LA schools. Um, he basically is putting a lot of money into this probably to, to increase the prevalence of charter schools in the state uh, and take and sort of uh, Tony Thurmond it, it has been a huge advocate for public schools. 
Um, and he's been doing a lot of uh, work in Sacramento as a legislator for paying for early education and after school programs. So, you know, I, I think um, Marshall Tuck is also opposed by the California Teachers Association. They're supporting uh, Tony Thurman. So on balance, I would say Tony Thurman is probably the better candidate. Yeah, so we basically have a choice of um, one um, Tony Thurman who is more pro-public school versus Marshall Tuck who is pro-charter. Um, and I think we should definitely invest in our public school more um, to ensure we have a better public ed education system. Gotcha. And do we know why does Marshall Tuck support uh, charter schools? I think it's, you know, it's partly uh, it's a financial interest in terms of uh, he has been running the corporate char and charter school company. Um, oh, wait. Oh, schools. Wait, so he's actually employed with a charter school company or has yeah, been in the like, past? He's a CEO, if I, under, if I remember correctly, or a yeah. very important position. He's involved in the charter school industry. Oh, he's, interesting. He's directly okay. involved in the charter school industry. I'm just Googling this really quick here. Let's see. Marshall Tuck, former CEO of Antonio Villaragosa's Partnership for Los Angeles Schools. So that so that sounds like a government agency, but that's not actually a government agency. That's charter school. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I meant earlier. Like, Villaragosa let them take control of a lot of LA, of, of LA schools in 2008. So the Partnership for Los Angeles Schools is actually... Oh, okay. no, it says here, former president of charter school chain Green Dot Public Schools. Okay, see, that that's pretty illuminating right there. Okay, gotcha. So let's see. So Tony Thurmond is who you should vote for if you support the public schools. And Marshall Tuck is, you should just know that he's, you know, has interests in pushing charter schools essentially and that he's uh actually been the ceo of a charter school corporation which is that's a red flag for me so i'm going to be voting for thurmond on that one um let's move on to county oh wait county that's just going to be that's going to be different for all yeah, of us i, I think um, that's about it for all the um state races um i think now the only thing we have left is the propositions yeah gotcha um, I just wanted to ask you guys if you might know, I, I, there's a slight chance, um, about the sheriff, Alex Villanueva or Jim McDonnell. I can follow up with you on that. Um, I have a little bit of opinion on sheriff's race, um, uh, but I have not done any research into the Los Angeles um, candidate. Um, one thing about sheriff, the, the position of sheriff, sheriff is, is that there's no term limit. Um, so okay. I definitely recommend everyone to do more research because a lot of sheriffs, they just get reconfirmed um, and reelected. Um, but but that but sheriff has, has a lot of power over public safety and and we I definitely recommend voters to do more research and um, instead of just passively reelecting um, re the sheriffs um, indefinitely. Yeah. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Um, let's look at state measures. This is the part I've been looking forward to. 
the juicy ballot measures. Okay, so we've got state measure one, vote yes or no, authorizes bonds to fund specified housing assistance programs, legislative statute, authorizes $4 billion in general obligation bonds for existing affordable housing programs for low-income residents, veterans, farm workers, manufactured and mobile homes, infill and transit-oriented housing, fiscal impact, increased state costs to repay bonds averaging about $170 million annually over the next 35 years. Would you guys like to comment on that? I think, you know, it's, it's a good measure. It sort of allocates the amount of money into a lot of different places, and overall it's a very small amount of money um, compared to the needs of California, but it's definitely better than nothing. Some of the money, uh, about a third of it goes into the multifamily housing program, and that's for sort of uh, low-income households for rental housing. So that is a a pretty good part. Obviously, the Veterans Home Ownership Program is just building on a lot of other propositions that have passed for veterans uh, home funding. Overall, it's a it's a decent proposal from my point of view. I think it, it should uh, be supported. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, yeah, I was planning to vote yes on measure one myself. Uh, let's move on to measure two. Authorizes bonds to fund existing housing program for individuals with mental illness, legislative statute, amends Mental Health Services Act to fund No Place Like Home program, which finances housing for individuals with mental illness, ratifies existing law establishing the No Place Like Home program, fiscal impact allows the state to use up to $140 million per year of county mental health funds to repay up to $2 billion in bonds. These bonds would fund housing for those with mental illness who are homeless. So that's a long description. Would one of you guys like to take a crack at kind of uh, condensing that? What is this about? It's about uh, using money in the mental health services fund that the state has, using that to finance uh, supportive housing for uh, for basically folks who are you know homeless, chronically homeless, uh, at risk of homelessness, and. Overall, uh, I think it's a good proposition. Ideally, we would have new uh, money coming in rather than sort of reusing uh, the existing money. But there is a big need for supportive housing. And sort of, as you can tell from uh, proposition, as I mentioned earlier, proposition one is kind of not enough by itself. Proposition two is a, is a good start for uh, supportive housing funding. Yeah, just, just to clarify, the supportive housing is for individuals with mental illness who are homeless, chronically homeless, or at risk of homelessness. Okay. So the way I understand Measure 2 from my own research is that there's already been money uh, appropriated by the voters for mental health, and essentially Measure 2 is just saying we can, the, the state can use that money that's been appropriated for mental health to build housing for uh, people who are, who have serious mental illnesses. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. So that uh, it's, it might have mentioned it in the uh, voter guide, but there's a proposition, Proposition 63, passed in 2004, and that created the initial funding. And it's partly uh, a tax on income over a million dollars. Uh, okay. So that is where the, the funding is coming from. So there's actually a kind of diversion of that mental health funding to help with supportive housing. But again, as Zenzen mentioned, 
it, it's sort of the same purpose. Uh, the No Place Like Home program was sort of tied up in the courts about whether it really meets the intent of the voters. And so this would make sure uh, that that money from that 2004 measure can go towards uh, No Place Like Home as well. Got it. Okay, great. So let's see. Uh, state measure three, moving on here, we have authorizes bonds to fund products. Sorry, authorizes bonds, <laughs> authorizes bonds to fund projects for water supply and quality, watershed, fish, wildlife, water conveyance, and groundwater sustainability and storage. Initiative statute authorizes $8.877 billion in state general obligation funds for various infrastructure projects. Fiscal impact, increased state costs to repay bonds averaging $430 million per year over 40 years. Local government savings for local for water-related projects likely averaging a couple hundred million dollars annually over the next few decades. So again, that uh, description is quite wordy. Does one of you want to break that down a little bit? Um, so this is definitely a very um, large package um, and it might be a very difficult to digest for most voters. Um, just to start our conversation on, on the issue of water, yes, we have in California we need water and we have we have had a lot of issues with our infrastructure to support our our, our need for water and regardless of what happened with this bond we'll have we'll see more to come in the future in terms of fixing our water infrastructure um so i know i know she kind of split on prop three because one is very needed but um but then again, um, Sierra Club made, made an excellent point about the potential environmental impact that um, that building a dam would cost to our um, environment, which is part of the Prop 3 package. But at the same time, Prop 3 package, um, Prop 3 also has a lot of other projects that are very time sensitive that, that it needs to happen soon um, in terms of fixing our water. Um, such as um such as um three point such as like three billion dollars for safe drinking water and water quality and two point eight two point eight almost two point nine billion dollars for watershed and fishery improvement and nine hundred forty million for habitat protection so all these are very great um very great um components of prop three that will really help us and and we really need um these projects to um to to start um, as soon as possible, I'm leaning a very weak yes, and and but but then but at um the end of the day, um, prop prop three is not the final solution we um to our issue of um dealing with the water short shortage and um, water infrastructure, and in the future we'll, we'll see more and more um conversation and more propositions um in terms of fixing our water infrastructure this is going to be an ongoing issue for many years to, to come yeah i mean access to safe drinking water is still an issue in a lot of parts of california and i have to say i i think overall this is a a good proposition and i i can see the sierra club's concerns it's difficult to find something uh, that will satisfy the concerns about environmental impacts of dams uh, as well. I think overall it's, 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 a, it's a good deal. 
Yeah, and got it. Yeah, and also, um, I just want to address everyone's um, everyone's um, point that I've heard on Prop Three so far. Um, so a lot of people argue that Prop Three is also a subsidy to our agriculture industry in Central Valley because um, part of the package um, includes fixing up the canal and the water delivery system um, to Central Valley, um, where big um, agriculture corporations are. Um, so right. I just want to acknowledge. Um, this point um, and help voters to make their decisions. Um, so what Prop 3 is a very complex package with many different components. Some are very good and some are very bad. Um, but in the, the end of the day, we really need um, uh, we really need um, solutions to our water um, to our water infrastructure and our needs for more clean drinking water. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I'm split on this one because I've read. The so for for the people who don't know who Sierra what Sierra Club is Sierra Club is a uh, a reputable environmental organization um, and essentially they exist purely to uh, to protect the environment that's their whole you know mission statement and um, they made I thought some really good points about. Uh, and I don't remember the exact, uh, exactly what they were saying. So maybe you can help me with this. Um, essentially they were saying that these things need to be done, but the way this, uh, measure has been created isn't good because it, um, doesn't require approval for ongoing, um, use of the funding. Like there doesn't have to be a vote every so often or something. I forget exactly what it is. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I, I think uh, partly they're concerned about infrastructure investments and the gains from those investments going to sort of the wealthy. Um, you know, we don't have a, a great publicly financed infrastructure. I think that's part uh -huh. of it. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, gotcha. I, don't, I honestly don't entirely know. Yeah, I'll have to look um, deeper into that um, that um, specific argument. Um, um, overall, I will say um, Prop 3 is not definitely not the mo the perfect proposition. Um, there uh -huh. are some components of this package um, that we, we could do without, but in the end, um, you only have a choice of voting yes or no. So. Right, but, but there is... To my understanding, they could pass it through, and this may not be correct at all, so please correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, instead of doing a ballot measure, um, this could be, or these things that need to be done to, you know, fix our watershed and um, basically help our water infrastructure get better could be done through the legislature, but they're putting it on the ballot uh, possibly it sounds to me because they know people aren't going to look into it as deeply. Um, what, what would you guys say to that? I think, you know, with a lot of ballot propositions, you could definitely go, uh, through the legislature. I think the concern was in June, there was proposition 68 passed, which already, uh, I think allocated about one and a half billion for water-related projects. And so the legislature wasn't looking to put something on the ballot right away for more water-related mm. projects. Um, and this is a $9 billion uh, for uh, just water-related projects. Um, 
So I, I think in general, to give you the legislature's perspective, they tend to avoid uh, putting the same thing on the ballot repeatedly because they think it makes it less likely for it to pass. Um, in general, it's nice for things to go through the legislative process if they can. Um, mm -hmm. If this ballot measure is defeated, you know, there, there can be another chance. It's just that in the interim between now and the next election, there could be a lot of uh, issues with the existing water infrastructure. It, it's only going to get worse, essentially. Got it. So it might be a situation where this isn't a great measure, but we're kind of over a barrel here in terms of this stuff needs to get done. And if some of it isn't the most progressive um, way to do it, then you know, they may just have us and we may just need to yeah. to put it through so that it can happen. Is that kind of an accurate uh, yes, summation? Um, to be fair, um, to be honest, I have not marked my um, pres uh, my ballot on Proposition 3. I I'm, I'm, have marked every other proposition except 3 because I'm still on the fence, even though I'm ready to jump on the yes side. I'm, I'm still not quite... It just—it's not a perfect bill. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of sac sacrifice to be made if, if I'm marked yes, um, or or if I mark no. There's a lot of sacrifice yeah. on both sides. So, um, it's definitely a bill that I recommend everyone to look deep into and think about in terms of our priority as a state, and and make informed decision on that. Got yeah. it. Okay, cool. Let's um, let's move on to state measure four. This is authorizes bonds funding construction at hospitals providing children's health care initiative statute authorizes $1.5 billion in bonds to be repaid from the state's general fund to fund grants for construction, expansion, renovation, and equipping of qualifying children's hospitals. Fiscal impact, increased state costs to repay bonds, averaging about $80 million annually over the next 35 years. Now, I just want to say about this one, this the way this is structured, it seems so obvious. It's almost comical. Like, vote yes. A, a yes vote is a vote for children. And vote no if you hate sick children and you want them to die. Like, that's... And, and it's kind of strange to me that it's like that is there more to it or is that literally this this measure that's basically uh what's happening uh and you know the main uh proponents of this measure are the california children's hospital association just to give some more background on this measure one of the good things about it is that it would try to ensure that the money from this is not only going towards areas that have you know decent children's hospitals but also uh vulnerable populations um, it'll make sure that, you know, the funding can't just go to a very small number of hospitals. Uh, and part of that will happen through the uh, California Health Facilities Financing Authority. It's listed uh, in the legis uh, legislation, and it's one of the main um, government bodies that sort of tries to ensure some amount of equity in terms of where the funding goes. Uh, that's one of the good things. Uh, it's really important to continue to construct and expand and refurnish children's hospitals. The main concern is obviously that a lot of the money is going towards uh, sort of private hospitals and there aren't very many public hospitals. Uh, there's the UC hospitals that are going to get about 18% of the funding. Um, that's just the state of the hospital system right now. 
that a lot of it is not entirely public, but that's separate from this valve measure. And I think overall it would make sense to support the increase in funding because some of it does go to the, the UCs in any case. Okay, that makes sense. I just wanted to confirm that it is what it seems because so often some of these <laughs> aren't exactly. Um, yeah. So I think uh, we can move on to measure four, Zenzen, unless you had anything to add to uh, – sorry, we move on to measure five unless you had anything to add to measure four, Zenzen? Um, I don't have much to say about four. Luck to okay, it cool. Well. Seems like an easy yes for me on measure four. Let's talk about state measure five. Changes requirements for certain property owners to transfer their property tax base to replacement property. Initiative constitutional amendment and statute. Removes certain transfer requirements for homeowners over 55, severely disabled homeowners, and contaminated or disaster destroyed property. Fiscal impact. Schools and local governments each would lose over $100 million in annual property taxes early on, growing to about $1 billion per year. Similar increase in state costs to backfill school property tax losses. This sounds terrible to me, just right off the top. They're basically just like cutting, they're just removing a tax and letting people over 55, aka probably the senators who wrote the measure, like buy a new house and keep the tax assessment and keep paying the same tax as they were paying on their previous house. Am I getting this so right? Just as we're going this was actually put on the ballot through the uh, Association of Realtors. It's uh, so supported by Howard Jarvis as well. Um, okay, there you it's, go. It's, if you might know about Proposition 13, which sort of limits the uh, the amount that property can be taxed and also the rate at which taxable value increases. So what that means is when you buy a property, uh, the market value that you pay ends up being how much uh, your tax is based off of. What this would say is yeah. you, you say you um, want to buy a nicer, bigger home somewhere in the state you'll be able to transfer your old property value to that new home, essentially. And that's going to mean that when you buy a nicer, bigger home, you're going to end up paying a lower tax. And that's making Proposition 13 even worse. What Proposition 13 has done has really limited the amount of funding that's gone into schools. And that's part of why uh, a lot of there are a lot of issues in California when it comes to uh, schools and, school and class sizes and all these other things. Um, and this measure would actually make that much worse. And it's it's written by the realtors because uh, they want to encourage people to buy more expensive homes. And that's how they right. do it, by making the tax barrier lower. So, uh, right. so overall, essentially, yeah. the tax, it, it sounds great because it's lowering taxes, but the end result is that we have even less money. It says a hundred million loss and then growing to a billion per year. And we have to close that deficit somehow. Where exactly is that money going to come from? And yeah, yeah, that just sounds like a resounding no for me on measure five. Uh, Zenzen, what do you think about this one? Yeah, we, we, I mean, property tax is, um, is a form of progressive, progressive taxation compared to sales tax. We should definitely, can you can you define uh, progressive taxation? Progressive taxation in terms of like um, people who, with um, the means to um, with the um, economic ability to um, afford will be paying more. So so typically homeowners um, 
buying homes and and the property tax value is assessed based on the home value they bought. So usually if you're wealthy, you buy more expensive homes. And if you are not so wealthy, you buy um, an, a not so expensive homes and your property tax will vary based on the home value. So the, the ones who buy expensive homes will be paying a lot more on property tax compared to the, the ones with a with home that's not valued as much. And so, so that's a form of progressive taxation um, compared to something, let's say, sales tax, where if you buy, um, if you buy something that's worth $5 and sales tax is 8%, it's the same regardless of your income. You will be paying the same amount of tax. Um, so, so the amount of tax compared to your income, um, let's say if I'm a low-income um, low individual and I buy something... Um, that's worth a hundred dollars and versus someone who's wealthy buying something worth a hundred dollars will just end up paying the same amount of tax but it's not really it's not really progressive because um I'll, I'll, i'm taking more out of my own income to pay into the tax versus the wealthy person right exactly okay so you you agree with lux and i about uh voting no on measure five yes voting no on measure five gotcha Okay, so let's move on to measure six. Eliminates certain road repair and transportation funding. Requires certain fuel taxes and vehicle fees be approved by the electorate. Initiative constitutional amendment. Repeals the 2017 transportation laws, taxes, and fees designed for road repairs and public transportation. Fiscal impact. Reduced ongoing revenues of $5.1 billion from state fuel and vehicle taxes that mainly would have paid for highway and road maintenance and repairs as well as transit programs. See, this is another one. It's like, oh, it sounds great. Yeah, we're going to pay less taxes. But I mean, five point reduced revenues of $5.1 from state fuel and vehicle taxes that are going to pay for highways and road maintenance. Like we need highway and road maintenance. We don't like how the roads are already like shitty enough. How bad are they going to be if we take a 5.1 billion budget cut? Like that just seems ridiculous. To yeah. Me. So, the, so, um, back in June, we did pass a um, measure that, um, that all the revenue we get from gas tax will be spent on tra um, transportation. So, which is great. Um, so, so that means we'll get more money to fix our roads, fix our highways, and also fix our um, transportation infrastructure overall. Um, mm -hmm. So, in in California, as as you know now, more and more um, we see more and more electric vehicle on the road. That means um, there's less less gas consumption, and. And right. we've been seeing a decline in terms of gas tax, um, but we are seeing more and more cars on our roads. Um, so, so it's definitely very important to modernize our gas tax rate. Um, we have, we actually have, before before um, the increase last year, we have not raised our gas tax for almost um, I think it's over two decades. The last time the last time gas tax was was raised was in nineteen ninety three, I believe. Um, Wow. Yeah, so it's definitely um, we it's we should definitely modernize the gas tax rate, and everyone should pay their fair share, and to maintain our roads, and and also right. we should definitely encourage more um, use of public transportation and less um, less cars on the, on the road and less congestion. Right. So to be clear here, essentially, state measure six does the opposite. Of what you're saying, it's, it does the opposite. The, the the purpose of Prop Six, um, it's put up by um, um, re Republicans, um, is to eliminate the gas tax, and and right. um, and 
I think many of you might remember back in June, um, Senator Josh Newman was recalled for voting um, for voting yes on, on the gas tax in 2017. Um, it's been um, it's been one of the ma major talking point and campaign focus for um, the Republican Party um, to to raise their profile among voters. Um, and gas tax is a, is an issue that they cap they capitalize on. Um, right. I mean even. Even some prominent Republicans like Paul Ryan waited on Proposition Six um, and a state ballot measure in California, and Paul Ryan is from Wisconsin. Um, so it, it, this tells you how important Prop Six is to the Republican Party overall. Right. So essentially, to recap, the roads and bridges and transportation infrastructure in California is falling apart and crap already. And even if we kept our current taxes, the revenue from those taxes is falling because A, vehicles are becoming more efficient, yeah. and B, there's becoming more, there's more and more electric vehicles on the road. So even if we kept it the same, we'd have less money to repair our crumbling infrastructure. But props or measure six actually accelerates the decay by taking away 5.1 billion from state fuel and vehicle taxes so that for me is an obvious no yeah and it's largely as Denzel mentioned it's a ploy to support the republicans in california and it's it's not just you know uh repealing the gas tax is not the only thing it does it, it says the legislature uh can't ever pass a gas tax without putting it before the voters again so that's just going to make Jeez. it very difficult to do uh, any gas tax increase um it's it's important yeah. to just sort of nip it in the bud right now yeah this this seems like a quite a nefarious one if you ask me so it's a no on measure six for me um okay so state measure seven conforms california daylight saving time to federal law allows legislature to change daylight saving time period legislative statute gives legislature Ability to change daylight saving time period by two-thirds vote if changes are consistent with federal law. Fiscal impact. This measure has no direct fiscal impact because changes to daylight saving time would depend on future actions by the legislature and potentially the federal government. So let me get this straight. This one is basically saying if the federal government changes the law with regards to daylight savings time, then this measure, if it passes, would allow our state government to go along with that change. Is that right? So basically, uh, California would be voting to eliminate daylight savings, joining a couple of other states like uh, Hawaii. Um, uh -huh. And uh, it needs federal approval. But uh, the, this ballot measure is sort of the first step to eliminating daylight savings. Um, on the issue of daylight savings itself, you know, I think it's kind of an antiquated idea. There's no real proof that it makes much of a difference. I actually, um, so this, so the idea initially came out that, you know, it would be more efficient for people to, uh, use less, uh, oil, I suppose, back then, uh, in, in running, uh, in, 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 in lighting their homes, uh, if they got, if they were awake during daylight hours more. Um, the most recent research shows that it probably has no real impact on energy consumption. And I honestly didn't have very strong opinions about this. I was fine with eliminating it. 
the people who really seem to dislike daylight savings times and really want Prop 7 to pass are especially teachers um, because it, it confuses students when, when the time changes. And so um, that, that's another thing to consider. I think overall it just, you know, it would be nice to get rid of it as a simplification of things, but it would have to go, uh, it would need federal approval uh, for final, uh, to finally happen. Got it. So essentially, if you want to vote toward the direction of getting rid of daylight savings time, then you vote yes on measure seven. Is that yeah. right? Got it. Okay. Um, so I think we can move forward to measure eight. Zen Zen, unless you wanted to comment on measure seven. Uh, I have no comments. Okay, cool. So let's go to state measure eight. Regulates the amount... Eight, uh, regulates the amounts outpatient kidney dialysis clinics charge for dialysis treatment. Initiative statute requires rebates and penalties if charges exceed limit, requires annual reporting to the state, prohibits clinics from refusing to treat patients based on payment source. Fiscal impact, overall annual effect on state and local governments ranging from net positive impact in the low tens of millions of dollars to net negative impact in the tens of millions of dollars. Uh, I have some thoughts on this one, but I want to hear from you guys first. Okay. Um, um, first of all, I mean, to me, it's, it's just unbelievable that people are trying to make profit out of this life-saving procedure. Um, this, um, for patients who really need this procedure, it's very unfortunate that corporations are, are, um, are trying to make as much money as, as they can um, over these desperate um, patients. Um, right. You know, to, to, and, and also in a lot of countries that dialysis is actually free. Um, and Yeah, so if I can pause right there real quick, um, some people might not know what dialysis mm -hmm. is. And just to give kind of like a very oversimplified explanation, um, essentially if you have uh, kidney failure, um, you can use a dialysis machine. Essentially, it takes blood out of your body. It filters mm -hmm. it like your kidneys normally do and puts the blood back into your body. Um, that's what a dialysis is. So this uh, measure is essentially saying um, it's deciding, well, I think, so you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the, the measure was actually brought by... Um, people who work at the dialysis clinics um, and the measure is attempting to limit the profits uh, of the dialysis companies to 115%, meaning they can still make, you know, 15% profit off of, you know, if, if their costs are hundred percent, they can still make 15% profit. All this does is limit the amount of profit they can make. Is that That's correct? part of it. Um, it, it, it also, as you sort of mentioned earlier, make sure that there there isn't discrimination based on source of payment for care. But that is definitely the biggest part of it. Uh, there are a lot of uh, companies that uh, for-profit dialysis companies that have profit margins over that. And the measure was brought right. by uh, SEIU United Healthcare Workers, uh, which is basically a, a union representing uh, those workers, the clinic workers, uh, to kind of try and rein in the corporate profits of this industry. Right. I was just watching, um, John Oliver has right. a great yeah. 
episode uh, on dialysis. So if you if you want to do a little more research on this, and you are a person who generally trusts John Oliver, uh, go ahead and look up on YouTube John Oliver dialysis, and uh, it will give you a look into I think how. Uh, strange and kind of predatory these dialysis companies are. So let me make sure I've got this right. A yes vote is a vote to limit the profits of these companies. Is that yes, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I personally, I would limit okay. it way lower than 15, but 15 is a nice start. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would say like a 15% profit is is quite a lot on a life-saving procedure that someone can't say no to. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, um, are you guys ready to move on to measure 10? Yes. All right. So state measure 10 expands local government's authority to enact rent control on residential property initiative statute repeals state law that currently restricts the scope of rent control policies that cities and other local jurisdictions may impose on residential property. Fiscal impact, potential net reduction in state and local revenues of tens of millions of dollars per year in the long term. Depending on actions by local communities, revenue losses could be less or considerably more. So uh, I know this is uh, a big one for you, Zenzen. You want to start us off? Um, Actually, Lush can start off this one. Okay. Yeah, he's very excited to talk about this. Yeah, I, I think this is actually the most important proposition, statewide proposition on the ballot. Uh, rent control in California has been severely limited since 1995. The real estate industry helped pass a law called Costa Hawkins. Uh, you might have heard about it. It basically limits the ability of cities to expand rent control on uh, new construction after uh, 1995. And it stops cities that already had rent control can't even expand it further. So San Francisco had a law on the books uh, saying that buildings before 1979 uh, are allowed to uh, are are, um, are rent control. But when Costa Hawkins passed at the state level, that 1979 date was fixed, which means that in 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 our city in in San Francisco, uh, rent control. Uh, can't be expanded to buildings built after 1979, um, and wow. so what that what what this measure would basically allow us to do is allow local governments to, if they choose, uh, expand rent control. The real estate industry cut it off at the state level back in 1995, so no local governments could expand it even if they chose to. In San Francisco, the kind of system that we have here is that rents go up in line with inflation, so we're not. Uh, we're not talking like static rent. We're talking uh, rents gradually going up with a reasonable rate of return. Um, and this this measure would really help control some of the soaring prices that we're seeing, some of the gentrification that we're seeing, um, because all kinds of horrible things can happen. It's not just about um, it's not just about uh, rent control to buildings after 1995. Costa Hawkins also removed uh, vacancy control. So when you actually uh, leave as a tenant, if you were to leave a building, uh, the landlord could jack up the price as much as they wanted to. Um, so that makes rent control pretty ineffective. If they can just, you know, take uh, a building, kick you out of there through some sort of nefarious or questionable means, which landlords have a lot of ability to do, and then jack up the rent on the tenant. Um, and then this is actually a pretty common situation uh, that the real estate 
industry has ex- has exploited for for making more profit. So what 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 Proposition Ten does is that it repeals Costa Hawkins with this old 1995 law, and it allows cities to, if they choose, implement uh, vacancy controls. Uh, rent controls uh, on buildings as they choose. So Berkeley is considering uh, doing it on a 20-year basis. So maybe the first 20 years of building isn't rent control, but then after 20 years, it would be. The the point is that the decision for this really should be left to the cities and kind of preempting it at the state level has caused all kinds of issues uh, with gentrification and so on. So I think this is probably the most important measure to support. It's gotten so much money against it from uh, real estate industries, um, and uh, some and, and Wall Street. So this is the one that has a lot of misinformation against it. I, I know a lot of people have been confused. I've been talking to a lot of folks, but that's just because of these horrible ads that are going out by the real estate industry. Right. Okay. So essentially, measure 10, a yes vote means that you want to give local governments authority to enact rent control. And... Um, you want to expand that authority and a no vote means that you don't want to expand that authority. Is, that's yeah, a right. no vote would leave things as they are, which I think it's going to make things very difficult. Right. So, so it, obviously it seems like a yes, uh, for me, one of the, just to address one of the counter arguments that I've heard a lot, I hear people saying, I've been looking you know, on Reddit and a bunch of different places uh, about to see what people are saying about the different measures. And one thing that people are saying uh, against 10 is, well, you're, there's a huge housing shortage in California, and if you enact rent control, then they aren't going to, you know, the developers aren't going to build more houses because they can't make a profit. Um, what do you say to that or either Lux or Zen? So, so there are a couple of points there. Um one, this measure doesn't enact rent control. It lets cities enact rent control as they choose, and the situation is going to be very different depending on where you are. Right now in San Francisco, we're talking uh, a lot of landlords, uh, apartment association, I think, reported a net operating income of $18 or so a square foot. Um, so they're, they're making quite a lot of money as it is. And like you really need to look at this on a, on a locality-by-locality basis. This measure would let the cities decide for themselves um, it's not enacting rent control in and of itself. The second point I would make, uh, personally, you know, I've been involved in, in a measure in San Francisco for uh, public financing of uh, publicly owned, publicly operated housing. So that this this kind of system that we have in place right now, where land, landlords, developers, uh, typically big developers, try to uh, maximize their profits and, and treat housing as an investment rather than as a human right, it's a pretty horrible system, and it's led to a lot of uh, rent increases in and of itself. And uh, what we're trying to do here in San Francisco is basically move past the system to a publicly financed system, like a lot of other countries have uh, around the world. And at the end of the day, as long as somebody is making profit and getting a return on their investment, your rent is going to be higher. So at the end of the day, it's also good for you to sort of move beyond a, um, a good for everyone who's a tenant to move beyond this kind of system that we're in. Uh, right now. Overall, I would say it's this is a kind of decision that's best left to the localities. And um, the, the this, most of the rhetoric that's being thrown out against uh, this measure and saying it'll exacerbate the housing shortage 
it's being thrown out by a lot of the developers who stand to lose the most. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that yeah, seems yeah. to make sense to me. Um, sorry, Zenzen, were you going to say I something? I just want to address your point about uh, the need for more housing. Um, I think we need to mm -hmm. be more clear on that. Yes, we need more housing. We need more affordable housing. So what developers right. have been building are luxury housings. And you're, you probably have seen a lot in Los Angeles. Just look at all the new construction and check their rents um, in the thousands. Yeah, and they're all vacant, too. And they're too. all vacant, too. Yeah. I read that downtown LA has one of the highest vacancy rates in the country and they just keep building these luxury apartments and nobody's living in them. And yet we have like this terrible homeless problem. Yeah. So we do have an abundance of luxury housing. What we don't have is affordable housing, which developers would not want to build um, because there's no proper incentive. What we really need is a comprehensive approach um, um, from the public side and to um, tackle the issue of lack of affordable housing it's not a lack of housing it's a lack of affordable housing and we definitely need to be clear on that one right so if you are for affordable housing vote yes on measure 10 yeah is That's that right. right okay got it all right so Let's move on here to state measure 11 requires private sector emergency ambulance employees to remain on call during work breaks, eliminates certain employer liability initiative statute law entitling hourly employees to breaks without being on call would not apply to private sector ambulance employees. Fiscal impact, likely fiscal benefit to local governments in the form of lower costs and higher revenues, potentially in the tens of millions of dollars per year. What would you guys like to say about this? I mean, it's just despicable that the private ambulance company, American Medical Response, put this measure on um, the state uh, ballot just to get away from a um, pending lawsuit that they are facing because they um, because apparently they've been holding um, they have not been um, giving workers proper break and they've been holding back wages and now there's a lawsuit um, that's um, there's that, that's still pending and the um, American Medical Response the company that's um, sponsoring Prop 11 is potentially looking at a settlement of tens tens of um, thousands of million dollars is um, almost over a um, hundred million dollars but if prop 11 passes this would um, this would just um, exempt them from the state labor law that requires meal break um, so compare comparing to right. how much um, they um, um, they will be paying um, in the um, in upcoming ruling um, the, the money they put into prop 11 is a drop in the bucket um, and it's and it's just so shameful that they're trying to um, get away from our labor law by um, using our ballot proposition and denying ambulance workers the, their right to meal break. And really, if, if they need people to respond uh, during meal break, they probably should just hire more workers and pay proper wages. Right. So essentially, to break it down... The ambulance company's uh, American, what is it, American Medical yeah, yeah. Response, AMR. AMR. So AMR was essentially whenever someone would take a break that works for them, they would make them work during their break and then they wouldn't pay them during the break. Um, and then they got sued because of this. 
and the lawsuit is essentially is looking like they're going to lose it and have to pay maybe even a hundred million dollars. So instead of um, instead of doing that, AMR has decided, you know what? Let's create a, a ballot measure that, if passed, allows us to makes it so that this lawsuit would have to be dropped. They don't pay the hundred million dollars, and they keep. Uh, forcing people to work on their breaks with impunity. Is that basically the, the basically picture? This law, um, basically, this proposition will exempt um, American medical response from complying with our state labor law and, um, and, and also from the consequence of the class action lawsuit um, that they are facing. Um, if, in case you are interested, um, you can look up Bartoni versus American Medical Response West. That's the name of the lawsuit. Got it. Okay, so this one, um, this one is so if you vote no, you're saying that the ambulance companies have to pay people on their breaks just like everybody else. Is that correct? Basically, the ambulance company cannot um, deny people meal break. Can, cannot um, force them to respond to, to calls during their their lawful meal break, and they have to follow the right. California labor law just like everyone else. Right. And the question that somebody asked me was, well, they're ambulance workers, so don't you want them to respond on their break? And the answer is no, there should be enough ambulance workers so that if one is taking a break, there's somebody else there that you can respond. You probably don't want them to respond to you if they're not in a good state to respond to you. That's like that's the most important thing. You want them to be able to do their job well, and that, and that has to include giving meal and rest breaks. Um, I, I, right. I think, you know, the, this whole measure, and obviously I support no on this measure, the whole measure is sort of epitomizes how horribly broken the private ambulance system is. Besides this issue, you know, they, ambulance costs are just in, in, insane. Um, I, I come from the United Kingdom. I'm actually an immigrant. And to me, it's just kind of foreign that you have private ambulance companies making so much money off of such a life-saving duty. And the whole field needs to be nationalized. But as one step, you can definitely vote no on Proposition 11. Yeah. Got it. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Okay, so State Measure 12 establishes new standards for confinement of specified farm animals, ban sale of non-complying products. Initiative Statute establishes minimum requirements for confining certain farm animals, prohibits sales of meat and egg products from animals confined in non-complying manner. Fiscal Impact Potential decrease in state income tax revenues from farm businesses, likely not more than several million dollars annually. State costs up to $10 million annually to enforce the measure. So essentially this is saying that um, voting yes on this establishes new standards for how big the cages of farm animals need to be. So essentially they're trying to make uh, – they're trying to regulate the farming industry to make the cages that they use for their animals a little bit more humane um, than they currently are. And w the way they currently are is like uh, torturous and disgusting for the animals, uh, in, in my view. What do you guys think? Yeah, about I definitely this one? agree with you on that, Graham. Um, so uh, many of us probably um, have seen some sort of video clip of how just horrible the conditions are in um, those farms and ranches. And, and it's not, 
Oh, I would also add, like to add that um, if we improve the environment of um, the animals, it's also, it also makes it better for the workers who are taking care of the animals. Um, so mm. it's, so this measure actually benefits not just the animals, but also the workers and the environment in general. Okay. Yeah, and it seems to me um, this one, well, I just want to address one thing. So people might be thinking, well, Oh, I don't really care about, you know, the animals that much. Uh, we'll just put them in small cages. And these, this bill is going to make it more expensive for the, um, the farm, the farmers. And why do chickens need a bunch of room? Well, if <laughs> the, the amount of space, if you vote yes and, and vote to establish new standards for confinement of the farm animals, the amount of space under the new rules for a chicken would be one foot by one foot. Mm -hmm. So it's not yeah. like they're giving a crazy amount of like free range space for these animals. It's still cruel under the new rules, but it's better. So it, I just want to make the point that it's not like a crazy, like everything is free range, yeah. you know, something yeah, like that. Absolutely. Um, um, it is definitely a step in the right direction. Also, you don't want animals to be like super packed and have no space in, in a very small confined environment because it increased increase the chance of disease, disease outbreak. Um, animals, um, they, they need um, proper care um, and they and you definitely don't want to hear, I mean, hear any news of like disease outbreak and um, contamination or anything. And also it, it's Better for just better for the workers to not um, be in such a stressful environment and um, um, and have better um, work environment in general. Right. So essentially, vote yes if you want to make farming slightly more humane, slightly better for the workers. Um, yeah. Vote yes, yes on twelve. Okay. So let's see here. Um, I think. So that's the last state measure. The rest are going to be uh, county and city measures, Yeah, right? that's it in terms of the state-level uh, measures. Everything else I have is just for San Francisco. Yeah, everything else I have is for Santa okay. Clara. Gotcha. All right, so we'll leave people to study those on their own because I think all three of us have friends all around California, so there's going to be different things on each person's different ballot, so we can't exactly cover all of those. But um, I think that will pretty much bring it to a close. I, To anyone who happens to end up listening to this, I hope this has been helpful. Um, I'm, uh, I'm totally welcome anybody who wants to discuss this more. Um, I'll probably be posting this on Facebook and Instagram if I can figure out how to do that. And, uh, and, um, yeah, feel free to, you know, comment or whatever and ask questions, start a debate, whatever you like. Um, I think the, the best way that we can, uh, improve our situation is to be involved and to discuss these issues with each other. And I'm just hoping that this will will help somebody do that. So um, thank you, Zen Zen and Lux for coming on with me and educating me about a lot of these things that I didn't know about and uh, helping me understand some of the ones that I did. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, it. Grant. And the only thing I would, I, I would add is 
if anybody wants to find out anything more, a lot of uh, the research I did as part of this was from the League of Pissed Off Voters in San Francisco. They have a really in-depth guide. Uh, a lot of it is specific to San Francisco, but the statewide measures are common. And uh, they have a lot of references, a lot of research that they went into for their positions. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, I, I would definitely recommend it. Got it. The League of Pissed Off Voters. Yeah. What a name. <laughs> All right. So that has been the first episode of Ballot Banter. Thank you for listening. And we will hopefully see you next time. Uh, I guess we should mention voting is on November 6th. Be sure you have a plan of how you're getting there, what you, where your polling location is. Uh, Google is your friend for that. Um, the other thing I want to emphasize to people is make sure you know when your polling place closes. Because if you're coming from work, um, a lot of the polling places actually close earlier than I would think should be legal. Like they close at like seven, I think I saw some of them. And that just seems too close. Some people get off work at 6.30. So be sure you look into that. Also, um, if you are voting, uh, if you have an absentee ballot, you can just drop your ballot off before uh, November 6th so that you don't have to worry about that timing issue. Um, and yeah, go make a plan to vote, get some friends to vote with you, and uh, let's try to change things for the better. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you guys later. All right, thanks, Graham. Thanks, Graham. Bye-bye. <laughs>